a podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. This is Mana. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Mana podcast featuring ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I'm your host, Jeff Peterson. Now, none of the guys that you're going to meet on this podcast would consider themselves to be extraordinary, but it's their humble, holy way of living. It's exactly what makes them extra to me, and I am excited for you to meet them. Well, hey, for for those who have been listening to MANA now for these last nine seasons uh, or so, you know that the whole point here is to uh, talk about um, you know, what does it look like? What does it sound like to be a man of faith in, you know, kind of a, I don't say roundabout, but in kind of more of a discovery format, you know, just through conversation with regular guys, great guests, uh, you know, from all walks of life um, on, you know, maybe we can just mine some pearls of wisdom, you know, uncover just some little things that we can take with us on our own journeys of being the kind of guys that God wants us to be. Um, but you know, sometimes, uh, you just have to tackle stuff head on, you know, sometimes don't you just want like an instruction manual, you know, just like, here's the top five things that you got to do. Well, so today in honor of that, uh, instead of kind of dancing around the edges, we're going to go straight on. We're going right at it. Our guest today is the author of a book called the attributes of manhood. And as you can guess by his presence here on this particular show, uh, there's a pretty solid foundation of faith in Jesus underneath his thesis, which we're going to discuss today. Uh, but he's not just leaving uh, words on a page, if you will. You know, he's really trying to start a movement here to help men uh, really rediscover and, and really reclaim uh, their place in society and, and hold us guys accountable to that, uh, which I'm sure in this day and age of increasing relativism uh, has been no easy task for our guest here. Um, in addition to his writing and his advocacy work, he is a devoted husband and a father, currently a father of three boys, a fourth child on the way. And I am not going to do any gender revealing on this show. So you can check in with our <laughs> guest here uh, right around May timeframe and, and see for yourself. Uh, all the way from uh, the great state of Oregon, Please welcome today's Man Up Man, Mr. Mitchell Anderson. Hey, Mitchell. Wow, Jeff. Man, thanks for that introduction. You, uh, I can't remember what episode it was or the gentleman's name, but he, he had said, wow, if you could just follow me around every day, every morning, I'd, I'd wake up on cloud nine. And, and, I, and I was, you know, as I dove into you to research you, it was like, uh, I wonder what my intro is going to be. Like, that was, that was the thought. And it was right. It hits you. It's pretty powerful. You got a gifting, man, for sure. Oh, wow. Well, we are very blessed to have you on the show. And I can't wait to uh, can't wait to get into your background, you know, kind of just how, how you were raised and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. I, but I really, let's get right into this book. Give us, give us the origin story of uh, the attributes of manhood and really what inspired it for you. Yeah. Well, you know, culturally right now, we have a gender issue um, and raising uh, four, three boys um, really wanting to know that the, the the role of a father is to give identity to children and uh obviously the enemy has hyped up his game to try to steal that and so um so that was the catalyst to be like hey you know what we're having all these issues in our culture god has so many truths in scripture um just littered throughout proverbs and and all the way through old testament new testament where it was like 
look, if you're looking for a definition of what a man is supposed to look like, it is littered in scripture. And so then that was kind of what burst this idea of what a man um, is supposed to look like. And so specifically, I tackle five, um, five attributes that I feel God put on my heart. Um, you know, that, that attributes are supposed to follow the, the men of God. Um, and then on the second book that I'm working on, it's just going to be another, I believe God has given me the five attributes and, you know, we'll see, we'll see how far that goes. Cause for me, it's gotta be inspired. Um, I, I believe the Holy spirit has to give me something. Uh, otherwise I just feel like I, I can raise waste readers time. And I definitely do not want to do that. So that was kind of the catalyst, the whole identity piece, but the, the crux of the whole book really comes down to Matthew 7, um, where Jesus is kind of talking about the fulfillment of the law, but uh, t- verses uh, 24 through 27, where we have the wise and foolish builders, you know, and I kind of, th- this idea of why do we need to know who we are in Christ as men? It's because you're going to see storms and you better have a really good foundation mm-hmm. uh, to be able to weather those storms. And so this is kind of that, that idea that I tackle is like, hey, if you can get your identity in Christ, um, you're going to be able to weather any storm. And then these truths that we adhere to, they're going to give you so many tools to be able to do that. So I know, obviously, you uh, you, you know all this, Jeff, um, but I'm wanting to awaken it in a culture that seems to be you know, lost in confusion. So Yeah, yeah. Well, and how has the response been? Because I do think there is, and I mentioned it in the intro, I mean, there's, we do, I think, suffer from a very... And it doesn't matter what and you're on. I mean, this whole relativism yeah. that we that we are swimming in now, where yeah. everything we just we have no guideposts at all. Yeah. And so what has been the response um as you've cause you are, you've got you're taking a courageous stance here. And what's sad is it it didn't used to be courageous, you know. I mean, <laughs> back in the, I know. used to just be, you know, in the age of Christendom, you know, that this used yeah. to be a fairly just like, yeah, water's wet. What has been the response of taking such a a a, a specific and bold stance? Yeah. Well, you know, building any and it's funny, you don't really get the privilege of naming a movement. Um, but this this could be you know god could have a design for this to just impact one father who's going to or one man who's going to be a great father and a great husband and that's that's totally cool um but the part that i really see is that hey god can we really inspire change where we see in a society that has you know 18.4 million um according to the uh, census bureau 18.4 million kids living without fathers in the household, you know, that, mm-hmm. that could fill New York uh, two times, you know, no LA two, yeah, New York two times, LA four times, according to this research study that had been done. And that's a lot of, a lot of kids, right? So it's definitely highly needed. But <clears throat> the challenge I think for me is, is starting this. Um, it's not easy to, to blow open any door. And so definitely it's taken every avenue, social media, um, podcasting, which Jeff, I, I really can't thank you enough for giving me this, the, the spotlight to be able to have a conversation about all this with you. Um, so it's definitely, it's funny that I'm going to say grassroots because it's such a political word. Um, but it's, it's really like a, a start, you know, of a, um, of a movement that I'm hoping could really take fire. Uh, not because I have something special, uh, but because I believe what I'm after is that every man, could unlock their attributes that God has for them. And then they begin to see, wow, yeah, you know, husband, being a husband is very difficult, but man, when I, when I use the spirit of God, when he empowers me, I, I see a momentum and God begins to to build this in me and uh, this, you know, same with fatherhood. 
And that's what I've gotten to experience empirically in my own life is that uh, I, I can't do any of this alone. So what I accomplish is by the power of the spirit working in me, diving into, you know, the word of God daily and then seeing great, um, great returns. So, you know, it's been public, it was published uh, November um, and really trying to start local. They've uh, Amazon's had some, you know, it's been uh, great sales, De- definitely not, you know, bestseller uh, at this point, but we're, <laughs> we're aiming obviously for that. Right. And then um, the podcast momentum, I, I, you know, I, there's many that I, I, I can't think enough that they would kind of allow, allow kind of this, this voice here. Um, but you know, we'll see where God takes it. The cool thing is if he wants it to stay where it's at, um, that's good. And if he wants to do more, you know, if I can, if I can share this, this piece here, which has been so, so, uh, interesting, I think what God's doing now internally for me is that there's a process when you, you pour yourself into a book and you're scrutinizing everything and you're saying, do I really believe all these things? Um, and you're wrestling with the truths. There's a process for me that had to happen after and this would be like a month after where um there was a lot of spiritual spiritual warfare where i felt that the enemy everything i would state or everything that i would write would then be really attacked um mm. whether it be courage whether it be fear and, and it's like okay mitch yeah great you say you don't have to be afraid if you have jesus that's cool but but what about when life gets you know really dark and yeah. are you uh are you are you is god enough for you um and so that's been that's been really heated up, and I think God's preparing, um, as He does for anything, preparing to handle wherever this is supposed to go. You know, because obviously the enemy doesn't like us even talking right now about what it is to be a father according to Scripture and according to God. And so that's been a, I would say, more so the response has been, Mitch, you better be ready, like you better be ready so that you don't you know, fall in the same way, um, of the things that you're saying. So it, there could be a lot there. I don't know if that, if that makes well, sense. Yeah. But. No, it, it totally doesn't. I think not only, I think that courage and, you know, and I appreciate what you're saying about, you know, when you're sort of crystallizing your, your point of view and, and, and what God was putting in your heart to try to get down to like the five things. Okay. What are the five things? Yeah. And that's a lot. I mean, for anything, yeah. I mean, just the five my favorite songs. I mean, whatever. I mean, so anytime, <laughs> yeah. and especially when you talk about this and not only for you as an individual, but now, I mean, the potential, I don't want to call it collateral damage, but you're yep. not yep. just yourself. I mean, you are a husband, you are a father, you are sticking your neck out, but you're sticking your collective neck out. You know, I mean, there yeah. are others around you now that you are sort of taking responsibility for, uh, with, with taking this sort of stand, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned the role of fathers and, and, and really, I think uh, a bit of an epidemic that we are going through in our culture with so many young people growing up without, you know, two parents. And, and I think the role that, that, that fathers play, what was it like for you growing up? I mean, did you, did you grow up with a, with a strong, uh, you know, male influence uh, in, in, in your life, whether it was your dad or, or other, other role models that stepped in to play that role? Yes. I mean, I, I had by far the, the most incredible mom and dad. And I think the best, the best judge of a parent um, inherently really is the kids, right? So if I'm, if I'm at probably that 30 year old age, and I think the, the person who might have the most right to say if a parent was great or not, um, my mom and dad were just off the charts. My dad was a, he, he was a pastor, um, you know, with the, with, within Foursquare. And, um, he was, 
he truly lived it out. I think that was a huge thing where, you know, the biggest struggles that can happen is when a pastor may say something and then he lives it differently in the home. Um, and that was definitely not, you know, my experience, um, not to negate their, you know, the enemy loves to, uh, have pastors fall. It just, it looks better, you know, for what he's after. But, um, my dad definitely portrayed, I am here for you. And he'll say this all the time. Um, his main focus was that he wanted not to raise me as if he was his father, but always pointing me to father God. So he, he always said, Mitch, yeah, I'm your earthly father, but where you need to just shift your focus to the fact that God is your, God is your father. Like he is your, your real father. And so it's funny how that, as he kind of directed my focus to God, it, it really drew me so close to him. Yeah, so yeah, that was, it was definitely incredible. Yeah, so true. Yeah, and it's not none of it's our work. It's all God's work, and and it's just us. We're just channels of it. So when so what a blessing to be raised mm -hmm. in such a Christ centered home. But for you, do you was there you know a, a a particular you know kind of point in your life where it really kicked in for you? Where it's like, yeah, Dad's been talking about this ever since you know whatever. But but was there yep. a time where you're like, okay, no, I get it now. Like this, I'm in. Uh, or has it just been kind of a, a wonderfully slow build, you know, over these 30 plus years where it's just now, it's just kind of continuing to crescendo? Yeah, I would say um, definitely in my high school era with girls and kind of wrestling with pornography and lust and that whole thing, um, that really challenged a lot of things, um, you know, for me. And so it kind of it was funny because I remember a, a camping trip that dad and I went on to uh, Table Rock. It's over here in, in Oregon outside mm -hmm. of Malala. But great hike uh, it takes you, you know, you get to 5,000 feet in less than two hours, you know, so a good hike up there. And we were going to camp at the top. So I had my my tent um, that I had, you know, purchased. It was 75 bucks. It was Eureka, really important tent to me. And I should have loved the moment. But um it was weird how I didn't want to be with my dad. I just wanted to have my little thing. And that was this hidden, you know, my folks at the time didn't know about it, but it was this hidden wrestling with lust, you know, and uh, which caused division in the relationship. And and looking back on it now, I wish, I, I so wish that I could have capitalized, you know, on that camping trip. Um, mm -hmm. But because of, you know, my own strugglings uh, working through that, then, um, you know, it inhibited that. And so, it's good because then obviously through that, you know, great breakthrough was able to happen 17. Um, you know, we, I was able to have breakthrough in, in the, you know, the lust struggle. And then that's, that's cool and all, but it's funny how you, you can see how sin causes dissension and division and a blockage. Right. And that's what, yeah. what was so, was so interesting there um, was that dad was, he was still present. He was there the whole time and, and he was doing his thing. Like he, the fact that I couldn't, you know, at that time really capitalize on that moment um, mm -hmm. didn't mean that dad as a father was not doing exactly what God had called him to do. And mm -hmm. so it's it's interesting that now myself as a father and knowing that my boys are going to go through a lot, there's going to, you know, so much is going to beset them and everything. I have a responsibility to be present, to be, you know, shifting their focus to God. And uh, it's it's amazing when you see a father on earth, uh, model that for you. Yeah. Um, I then now am so, you know, in an interesting way, I, I, I'm captive to, to doing the same thing. Right. And so, so for me and my model, 
I'm very grateful that I have my dad because I still feel um, myself obligated to honor him. Like I, I still want to, I still have that desire. And it's funny at 37 now, I'm still wanting to, to live my life out in that way and honor him. Sure. And so then my concern, as we know, the fatherlessness is so low. I, I can imagine that uh, so many, um, you know, men in the world, fathers, whatever, they, they don't have these role models to like mm-hmm. pattern after. And so this is kind of this piece where I've tried to insert myself to say, God, is there a way? Can we do this? Can can your miraculous power, you know, can can there be a reformation of fathers back to homes, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of been this this shift for me because I've seen such the you know the benefit in my own life. Um, yeah. Well, and the strength of fathers to not only you know be the kinds of role models that you talk about in the book and about being very, yeah. you know, um, you know, as you said, in the in in the sort of the order and the design by, by yeah. God, but also, you know, when you talk about your dad at that stage in your life and you think yeah. about, you know, um, I've been reflecting a lot on free will and, you know, free will is a bear uh, for not <laughs> yeah. only for us who, who fall because of it and then learn yeah. our lessons and like our wounds, but for guys like your dad at that stage yeah. in your life where he is, watching it happen and he's letting it happen because he knows yeah. it has to happen and you have to go through that just like our father our heavenly father watches and you can just imagine it as a dad yourself you know that just the pain of that and you're like oh okay there's no other way for them to learn this <laughs> and, you're, yeah. and you're there and so there's strength in that i think and i yeah. think when you talk about the missing influence of men in the lives of of children that is part of the influence as well it's the it's the uh, kind of this guardianship where you're giving space for young people to grow and learn and fall. And, but yet just like your dad, he was right there. You knew he was there and and that's why he's still there for you today. You know, it's so true. It's so true. So what's it going to take? I mean, what, when you think, when you're thinking of now, because this movement is going to take off and maybe it's a little yeah. more grassrootsy now than, you know, some big Oprah book that hit the, hit the, <laughs> the number one, but what do you think, you know, scoot ahead 10 years, you know, yeah. what, what does this look like? I love that you said 10 years. Cause you could have said five, you could have said anything. <laughs> um, the message that I gave. So when we released it at, at my church, uh, uh, not mine, the one I attend uh, solid rock uh, here in Salem, uh, it was interesting because on it, I, I kind of make this claim to God. I'm a, I'm a salesman by trade, right? So I, I sell medical device. And so, you know, if you don't call your shot, if you don't make a statement, forecast a quota, it really means, you know, nothing. So I figured I could put God <clears throat> on the stand because he's the only one who can do this anyways. And so mm-hmm. what I said was in 10 years, because um, currently right now, uh, single parent households, you know, I'd, I'd have you guess kind of what you know, the percentages of single parent households in America, but it's 23%, right? According to the Pew Research Center. Um, and then the next closest that, that we would know as far as a big, you know, a big country is India at, uh, I believe, 5%, and then China's at 3%. Now, we can understand because there's some cultural things there, um, but to say that we are dominating, we're, you know, at 23% of single parent households, if we wonder what the issue is, you know, in our culture, it's because there's, there's no fathers, right? So I said to God, I said, you know what, in 10 years, we're going to beat China. 
that's what I said. I said in 10 years, um, number one, it sounds good, right? To beat China in anything, but uh, also in 10 years to say, you know what? Can you imagine if we were at 2% single parent households, right? And it's a lofty goal, but um, I believe God can do it. So, so that's my aim. And I've, I thank you that on your, your platform, I could say it yet again. Um, and that's what I'm after, right? And so we will we'll definitely see. I got to today because I do these you know, interviews that I think you alluded to, you know, just, we call them word on the street. And, um, today I was at Willamette university talking to a guy named John. And I think he was, he was probably a sophomore. Um, and you can see it on, on, um, on a, a Facebook reel, but, uh, it was so interesting because the conversation literally starts out, um, he goes, well, I'm a little bit different. You know, I was raised by two moms. So my two, uh, yeah, two women, he says two women or two moms. And my view of masculinity is a little bit different. He talks about how he's wrestled with it, you know, but I saw I, in, in him, what I saw was, first of all, I was so drawn to him and I, and I tried to lay it out saying, listen, our culture is not very good at disagreeing and still being friends. And so I want to make sure that we'll continue this conversation, but we have to, you know, you and I have to stay friends because there's a compellingness to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And as he was talking about it, the nuance of his wrestlings with what masculinity um, looks like, uh, at the same time, I saw, oh, man, in this conversation, you're respecting me as if the words I'm saying are what you long to hear, you know? And I just was like, oh, the design was just skewed a bit. You're just supposed, you're, you're supposed to have a, a man that's respectable, a father figure, just imparting wisdom and truth into your life. And so my heart kind of hurt for him, but it was also a, a great conversation. And I'm, those kind of things I'm really hoping can, you know, shift something in our culture. And uh, obviously, you know what, what the dividends would pay back would be, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, I think you, you hit on something too. I think, you know, there's, there's, there's only so many books, there's only so many speeches, there's only so many sort of declarative things out there that that can be done and at the end of the day it's relationships and it's what you yeah. just described and it is it's and that's that's the long work um but it's the yeah, lord's yeah. work i mean that's the lord's work it's 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 person by person you know and to keep knocking on doors metaphorically so or figuratively so yeah all right, well, hey uh this this i mean we could talk we could talk all uh, darn day, but we got to get to the, oh, and by the way, listeners, just in case you missed it, you can probably tell Mitch is a sales guy. Uh, whenever you hear people <laughs> talking about sales to quota, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> he's for real. So I uh, appreciate that uh, specificity there. Uh, but anyway, we're at the uh, fun segment uh, of the big show here where we ask the same three questions of every guest and see what they have to say. So uh, question number one, if Jesus knocked on your door tomorrow morning, just wanted to hang out for the day. What are you going to do with Jesus? Jeff, I so appreciate this question. Um, So definitely what I'm going to do, Jesus is going to show up. We're going to go to a big auditorium filled with a bunch of intellectuals from all over the globe. And uh, there's going to be a panel and it's going to have Ben Shapiro. It's going to have Sam Harris and it is going to have Richard Dawkins. And I want to know, first of all, Ben Shapiro being a Jew, and I respect the guy. He's actually had John MacArthur and Ravi Zacharias on. And to me, when he had Ravi Zacharias, I was like, if Ravi Zacharias can't uh, convert you, I don't know who can. But um, in that respect, I would love to see how Jesus would handle that discussion, um, you know, and Ben Shapiro and that kind of thing. And then obviously Richard Dawkins, how would you argue with this 
incredible intellectual atheist that would not think anything of you and, and what would that look like? And then also obviously Sam Harris, um, Sam Harris would probably be so disgusted at his, well, he doesn't necessarily have a problem with Jesus, but you know, just the pain. He he has this problem with suffering that he he can't seem to get around. So I'd love to see how Jesus would handle those three. Um, yeah. Well, there's a great uh, that that would be a panel, by the way. I think everybody wants to tune into that. There's a great uh, I'm I'm going to butcher it, and I won't spend too much time on it. But there's a great homily by uh, Richard Rohr, um, oh. uh, and where he talks about Jesus being the synthesis and where there is uh there's the thesis and then the antithesis and jesus is right in the middle and able to perfectly um take in and combine and uh basically be i think the perfect moderator for for that panel that you just uh, yeah. uh if anybody can make sense of it he can uh i love that all right uh fun segment question number two if you could go to church with any other guy, living or dead, famous or not, uh, we'll just make a little rule. You can't take anybody on the panel that you just described. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you go to, go to church with any other guy. Uh, who's it going to be? So can I say two or does it have to be one? Sure. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so so it'll be a living and a dead, right? So living, it would be Jordan Peterson. I would give anything to go to church yeah. with him. And then dead would obviously be, I say obvious, but C.S. Lewis for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's... That's funny you say that. I was just prepping for another uh, another interview here, and in the intro, I quoted his great uh, his great remark about um, God uh, whispering us, whispering to us in our pleasure, uh, speaking to us in our conscience, and shouting to us in our pain. And I just, oh man, he would be a, he'd be a great church guest for sure. All right, last question, uh, and this is one. Obviously, you got a whole book on this, but uh, we'll see if you can condense it into one thing, and it doesn't have to be about the book at all. But if you could give one piece of advice to a younger man about, you know, living living a confident uh, life of faith, what would that one piece of advice be? And it can't be go read my book. <laughs> what would your piece of advice be? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the advice would be life is going to have a lot of storms in it. So we all know the only way you, you can't escape a storm. So the only way out of a storm is through it. Yeah. And so if you're going to, if you, if you can be guaranteed, you're going to have storms, you better have a firm foundation. And if you're going to have a firm foundation, the question is, okay, you, you have to be so sure of that foundation. And I would encourage him to dive into that <clears throat> foundation Obviously, my my recommendation would be the Bible. That's where that's where it's just insane of of all the truths that I can have that are that are practical, right? The I'm going back to Matthew seven, um, but at the end of Matthew seven twenty four through uh, twenty eight, it actually they were astonished at the way he spoke when he spoke about the wise and foolish builders because he spoke with one who had authority. And this authority, the re, I, as I looked into it, um, it's it's not this understanding that we may have, but it was the power to act. And I think what the the hearers took from that was when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak as the academics. It wasn't like Aristotle or Socrates. Where it was like, okay, that stuff sounds great in a, an intellectual auditorium. That stuff sounds great in uh, when you're orating and such. But what about when I'm going through a poor streak? What about when I've lost my job or somebody important has died, right? And so this this thing here that I think God is beckoning men, beckoning um, young men, men to have is that, hey, 
I, I'm going to give you practical wisdom, wisdom that will actually be applicable to, <clears throat> to your life, not just, you know, coming out of a book. And so I'll end with this quote out of the book, but it says, if you can gaze at length upon that which terrifies you, suffocates you, crushes your bones, erasing your very existence, you will discover that you have tangled with darkness and found that to dance with courage is far more illuminating. So that's I love it. That. Dancing with courage. Oh, love it. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, everybody, the book is called The Attributes of Manhood. The author, author is Mitchell Anderson. And uh, thank you again uh, for being here, Mitch. It's great to meet you and great to share your story and your movement. And we'll uh, we'll check in in 10 years, if not earlier. <laughs> Jeff, can't thank you enough, man. You're awesome. Thank you for listening to MANA. If you have any questions or recommendations for future guests, Send them to manapodcast at gmail.com.